yeah, I do actually love this church. I, um, it, uh, yeah, I'd like to see my notes come on. That would be a different message, right? Um, it is awesome to be here, and I feel like, I've said this to Pastor Terry, this feels like my church away from church. I live over in the Santa Cruz area in a small little town called Soquel. And uh, just to be able to come into the city and to feel like, man, this is home. If I lived here, this is where I'd go. Oh, there's people over here too. Hey, I didn't even see you guys. That's awesome. Um, and then there's people at the Reardon campus, right? So I'm going to wave to them. You, somebody's waving to me. You're not at the Reardon campus. So how's it going, guys? Glad you're here. Good job. High five somebody. Reardon. You're us. We're you. Sorry, I wanted to just do that. And then y'all over here in the dog pound area. I love it. It's great. It's like the Arsino Hall show. So, uh, wow, I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, I want to share something I shared in the first service, but it was a big secret I shared with Pastor Terry before we started. Um, yeah, last year was my first year as a chaplain in Major League Baseball. And I had been a chaplain in football and, and professional soccer for years. And then I was asked by baseball to cover the Oakland A's. And I said, sure. And it was super fun to do. Um, and uh, just on Wednesday, I was asked to be the chaplain for the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants. So I'm going to cover, well, so I hope you're plotting your team because I don't really bring anything other than just, you know, hey. Uh, uh, what, what's awesome with that, though, it's super fun to be involved in professional sports because last year when I came onto the team, um, I had a theme that I picked in spring training, which is the gospel doesn't affect how you play. Gospel doesn't do it. The Bible doesn't affect, like chapel, coming to chapel. Like baseball players are very superstitious. And um, Giants probably be the same thing. And it's, chapel doesn't affect how you play, but the gospel affects culture, always. So if you live out the practical principles of the gospel, the otherness of the gospel, to love one another, serve one another, bless one another, bear one another's burdens, care for one another, come alongside one another, forgive one another, that has an impact on culture, always. And, it's, and the baseball team is no different. And so as we began to every chapel, every time we met, every Bible study, we would go over that just one more time. Just remember, gospel affects culture. Live out the gospel. And culture eats any strategy for breakfast. Like, you can have strategy all day, but culture changes everything. You've been in a workplace where it's been like, man, it's a great culture to be in. So we just lived that out. And every time we just all of a sudden, it didn't affect how they won, but watching them, watching them play and watching the A's, if you followed the A's last year, they had a, a, a crazy run. And watching the ball players, we had the largest contingency of, of believers on the team, watching them live out the otherness of the gospel. So I decided on Wednesday when they asked me, that will be my theme for the Giants. I'm not promising that anything will happen. <laughs> But wouldn't it be cool, right? So uh, anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, uh, we're in this series on All In, and uh, I want to share a story. I know it is uh, Super Bowl Sunday, so I wanted to share a quick story about um, uh, football. This is probably my first interaction in pro sports. So my daughter, um, when she was four years old, she's 33 now, and uh, when she was four years old, she was in preschool. We lived in Southern California. And she went to preschool one day, and then at the end of the day, she came home, and I said, how was school, honey? And she said, I got in a fight. This is my four-year-old. <laughs> and later on, I got a call from the teacher. Sure enough, she did get in a fight. And what had happened, what had transpired that day, was that it was share day for another kid. And share is an interpreted word 
different things for different kids. For this kid, it's interpreted, I'm bringing something to share with the class, to present. And she viewed share as we would talk about it in our family. You're going to share that with me. And so, obviously, uh, miscommunication of words. He was sharing his item, and she was trying to take it from him, demanding him to share, and a fight ensued. A fight. To pushing, shoving, to where the boy finally said to her, my daddy is going to beat up your daddy. <laughs> now I'm involved. And uh, so she brought that up, and she's telling the story. And I'm like, and she's like, but daddy, I know you can take him. And I'm like, all right. I love, I love the fact that uh, she has that confidence in me, right? So, so um, I said, so who, who's this? You know, who's your daddy? You know, who's your? I'm like, I'm getting all like worked up. You know, like who's this, who's this kid? And his name is Matthew, Matthew Slater. His father. This is a picture of his father, Jackie Slater. <laughs> I kid you not. I am not making this up. Here's a couple pictures. Let's just scroll through what Jackie Slater looks like. I mean, this is him right here. Uh, here's another picture of him here. He's a scary individual. Let's just be honest. He's about 6'5", maybe 3,000 pounds. I mean, he's a big dude. And my daughter's like, oh, she's confident in her dad. Daddy, you can take him. I'm like, you need to learn how to share. Because you're going to get me killed. We actually became friends through that whole circumstance. It was super funny. And then um, uh, I was doing the chapel for uh, teams that played in the Super Bowl. I mean, not that right at the Super Bowl, but teams that year. Um, and uh, Matthew Slater now plays for the New England Patriots. He'll be playing today. And uh, you can watch and pray for him. He's a great kid. But the first time I did chapel for them that year, I brought that preschool picture. And I shared that story. And the teammates were like, you were picking on a girl. I mean, it was awesome. So, so I'm like, how's your daddy now? You know, like I just, anyway, sorry, that was a little crazy. Oh, man. Wow. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But is everybody having a good time so far? All right. Woo. All in. Um, our service is about all in. Pastor Terry asked me if I join you guys, and I, I, every time I'm like, if, if my if my calendar is clear, every time because I just feel the affinity of this church. Because you're, it's not just the people, and the people are fantastic, and the worship is great, and the drummer is crazy in the aquarium. It's just awesome. <laughs> like, I love it here. But the fact is that this is a church uniquely placed in the city, with a pastor that's tenured in this city, and there, there's it's a strategic missional beachhead for what the gospel is intended to do in the Bay Area. Your church is primed for that, for that thing. And as the people of God, whether you are walking in your faith for a long time, you're new to faith, or you're like, I'm not sure about this faith thing, you're here in the mix to say, what does God have for this church? Don't deny that. Don't think that that's like a kind of an underestimated thing. You're part of God's redemptive story for the city. It's a big deal. So being all in is kind of a big deal. So for me, when I think about all in, I think about my college um, sports days. Uh, if you're in the last service, you can't answer this question, but can you guess what sport I was in in college? I played in the NC2A for one year, Division I sport. What are your thoughts? What do you think? Football, no. Come on, football? Basketball. Baseball, I've never played baseball in my life. Basketball, no. Hockey, wow, Southern California hockey, no. Uh, all right, I'll stop. I'll stop before it goes into like field hockey or ribbon dancing. So uh, I was an oarsman in college. I was, an, I was on the rowing team. And uh, so 
and that was, I rode in the NC2A one year. And it was probably one of the most trying years for me. Because I learned more about myself and the limitations and the expectations and the thresholds I needed to break through in order to go to another level. And this was a team known as, they were, they were technically, the nickname was the Giant Killers because they, they, they wiped everyone out in the West Coast. And so I rode one year. And just because you make the team doesn't mean you make the boat. And just because you make the boat doesn't mean you make the boat that's selected for the race. And just because you made the boat that's selected for the race doesn't mean that the day before the race, someone could challenge your seat. They call it seat racing. So they have the best, the prime, the, the most optimum boat and chances to win. And their record proves so. And so for me, each time I'm like, I can make the team, but that doesn't mean anything. It required an all-in attitude for me. I had, it changed not just working out, because you'd think it'd just be working out, and it changed my diet. It changed my sleep patterns. It changed my GPA, because I had to have a GPA to be on the team. It changed my social circles, because I couldn't hang out with the friends that I wanted to hang out with at night, because I had to be in bed at a certain time. It changed my mental attitude towards the things that I was doing. It changed the holistic person of who I was. I had to be all in if I wanted to make the team, make the boat, make the boat that races, and make that seat. All in. Required something of me. And when I think about all in as a strategy for the church or as a theme, it's not just, hey, that sounds cool and we can make a cool logo and make some shirts and really, hey, all in. It has something to do with the whole person. Because as the church begins to say, we choose to engage in this lifestyle, this, this relationship with Christ, we recognize that on an interpersonal level, with me individually, he changes my life and I, my life gets, wow, things are changed and things are healing, things are happening. And then collectively as a church... It becomes what I called earlier a missional beachhead against the forces of darkness, against the city that is wishy-washy at times, a lot of times. And I believe that, that, the, that, that as Pastor Terry sent me, he says, we're contending against the spirit of nominalism, meaning uh, kind of, sort of, yeah, a little bit, I dabble. We're contending against that spirit within Christian or Christian faith. And he says, we're, and we're contending for a committed, joyful engagement in the way of Christ on a personal level. Because as it affects you as an individual in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your social circles, in whatever in, you're involved in and engaged in, you become the embodiment, the, the person of work of Christ in your life, wherever you are. Walking with Jesus for a number of years, I'm just really learning this stuff and it's kind of changing my heart. Wherever you are on that spectrum. I wrote this down when I thought about the message today. It's this, to be all in, to be all in is to fully immerse and align yourself in the person and work of Christ. His calling on your life and his mission for the church in the world. Just say that one more time. To be all in is fully immerse and align yourself with the person and work of Christ. His calling on your life personally, his mission for the church in this world. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. It's a pretty thematic verse for some that are often, but I believe that this church is uniquely placed in a position in this city for the sake of the city to flourish. Here's the passage in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read it as soon as it pops up here. There it is. Seek the peace and prosperity, the peace and prosperity. Peace is translated shalom. 
Seek the shalom of the city, the peace of the city, and the prosperity of the city. And that's not mean just money. I mean flourishing in all fronts. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Meaning, this is that when children of Israel were carried into exile. Seek the peace of this place. And then he says this. Pray to the Lord for it, because if, you prosper, if it prospers, you too will prosper. And I don't mean this prosper. I mean flourish. As you are uniquely put in the city, from a macro perspective, all the way down to your specific workplace. It's designed for you as you seek to say, how do we make this flourish? Because as it makes this flourish, it makes me flourish as well. And it's a biblical principle across the board. And I think about that as it relates to what I call increase. The increase of influence in the city. So increase looks like this. If increase, increase happens in the parking or the building space or staffing here at the church, that's not real increase. The increase is advancing the kingdom of God in your city. The increase is establishing missional beachheads like groups that advance the gospel in your city like Reardon today. Increase is attaching your health metric to the health of the city. It's a mindset that says, if the city has a problem, we have the problem. If the city rejoices, we rejoice. Increase is less about a number and more about a Christ-centered influence over the city. Because with godly influence comes gospel influence. That's why we're doing all in. It's not to have a really cool church. But it's about you as an individual living like Christ wherever you are. Because when we gather here, and then on Monday we go to our places, and that influence, that, that, that godly gospel influence goes to those places. That's the whole point of it. And so we focus on what that actually means. And so as I was praying through and saying, okay, God, what do you want me to talk about? I feel like I don't know why God does this to me, but I get like random passages, like, like weird ones. I remember last time I came here, I spoke about two weird guys in the Old Testament that I'd really never looked at before. Now I get this weird passage in Mark chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, there's this story where Jesus enters into the city and all this weird stuff happens. It's in your bulletin. I'm going to read the story. But I believe that Cornerstone, leaning into this new season of All In, has everything to do with working through the tension and reality of the weird story in Mark chapter 5. Okay? So let's pray real quick and we'll ask God to bless our time in Mark chapter 5. God, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. May, it, may uh, you illuminate our eyes to see what it is you'd have us see today here on this campus and at the Reardon campus, that you would allow us to interact with your word and it would change us. It would convict us. It would encourage us. It would sharpen our thinking and cause us to live more intentionally for you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, let me give you a backdrop to Mark chapter 5 before we jump into that passage. There's just four chapters ahead of it. And in Mark chapter, Mark's, Mark's gospel is an, what we call an action-packed gospel, meaning it jumps from event to event. It doesn't trace a lot of the Old Testament connections to prophecy or everything else. It just starts with Jesus getting baptized. It just jumps right into Jesus' ministry. It jumps into him collecting and selecting his 12 disciples that are going to follow him. And in chapter, chapter uh, 2, we see... Um, all of a sudden he heals a paralytic and he heals someone with leprosy and he begins to heal all kinds of people. And this viral message comes out about Jesus. You know, when somebody starts healing, crazy stuff like this happens. Uh, it, it becomes a big, like, whoa, what's going on over there? 
and there's this momentum of what's happening with Jesus in his ministry. In chapter 2, it happens. And then in chapter 3, more crowds, it says, uh, that were following him. Jesus is just trying to teach. And he interacts. Uh, and then chapter 4, he gets to these passages. In chapter 4, he gets to passages where he's teaching about the kingdom of God and the exponential impact of something small, like the gospel, something small, like living out Christ, and how it explodes. He gives a number of different examples. He talks about the seed that's thrown on good soil that produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. He talks about the mustard seed, which is the smallest seed, grows into the largest tree. He talks about a light, a nice little illumination light that illuminates the whole room. And he says this, this, this small impact, this small thing, blows up. It's crazy. And that was his teaching in chapter 4. And at the very end of chapter 4, then he and his disciples, they're on tour. They go, they get in a boat, and then they're going to the other side of the lake. And while they go on the lake, this is the end of chapter 4, a big storm comes up, waves going on. The Jesus is asleep, and the disciples are freaking out. Jesus is woken up, and they said, we're going to die. Don't you care? Jesus is like, haven't I taught you anything? Did you have faith? And he calms the wind and the waves. And they say, who is this? And they realize the things that he'd been teaching, the stories that, that he has shared, and the, and the impact of all these people that are being healed, this is the guy. And then they go into chapter 5, and that's where we're going to focus on today, these first 20 verses, and buckle up, it's a weird story. Chapter 5, verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And then he shouted out at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? He said, My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of that area. A large herd of pigs was feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs, and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened and the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go. He said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed. Okay, can we just agree that's just a weird, weird story? But in that story, when you begin to unpack it and you go deeper into it, you realize there's something that's in this story that draws me to just like things that just I observe. 
observations that kind of changed my perspective. Because if we're a church and we're looking at it saying, you know, a church is made of its members and its members are made up of people that go into particular cities and particular workplaces and different things, this story has to translate into that a little bit. And here's, there's five things that I pulled from this story that um, I want to relate to you today that I feel like are part of our all-in uh, conversation. First is this, and you can write these down. First one is this, unusual issues are often mismatched with flawed solutions. Sorry, it's a little wordy. Unusual issues are often mismatched with flawed solutions. Uh, the beginning of the story, obviously they're emphasizing it. Go back to verse 3. He says, this man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So it means they tried it a couple times. They'd often chained hand and foot now, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Did you catch that? Because it kind of repeated itself. And what's interesting in this story is that they're trying to solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. They're, the solution isn't about chaining him or binding him up. It's about delivering him. They're trying their hardest to restrain him, and what he needs is to be set free. And I believe that that's what we see in our city all the time. We begin to see things that are happening in our city that are problems that are compounding, and the city is trying to respond to and give it, offer a solution which may be spiritual in nature. The city of San Francisco has so many issues. Homelessness, crime, poverty, addictions, all kinds of things. And what our city often does is develop a program or pass a law or host another event about bringing some sort of solution where the church should look at it and say, yes, tangible things, very important, but this seems spiritual. I live in the, in the Santa Cruz County area. And across from our church, there is the largest homeless encampment I've ever seen. And every week, it gets bigger. And the city can't respond and sweep these people. What are you going to do? And so it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so what do we do? Try solution after solution after solution. When in fact, I think homelessness, the way it looks in Santa Cruz, feels spiritual to me. That where is the church that we begin to recognize, yes, tangible needs are important, but is there something that is destroying mankind that we're trying to solve that isn't solved with a, with a, with a, a practical solution, but a very spiritual one? I'm becoming more and more convinced that faith communities that want to have a real increase, a significant impact on the surrounding community are ones looking to address spiritual depravity. Now, that's collectively as a church. Let me take that right into, into the personal. You are in that same boat. In your workplace and in your neighborhoods, as you see things, if, if it's a recurring problem, pay attention. Because maybe it's prayer. It says, God, what is here that needs to be broken? I am here present and want to do something specific, but what can I do? And we begin to look almost through the problem to see something that is spiritual. That's the first thing that I see. If we want end increase, we address the spiritual problems that lie beneath the service within the needs of our cities, our communities, and our own personal lives. Here's the second thing that I see. It's this. It's what I call an unbelievable manifestation of Jesus as magnetically powerful 
and attractive. Unbelievable manifestation of Jesus is magnetically powerful and attractive. Okay, look down at verse 6. It says this, When he, this is the demon possessed, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And we'll just pause right there for a second before I read the rest of it. When does a demon run to Jesus? That doesn't make sense. What I think is happening, and this is just my interpretation, is this man, he has enough cognitive sense in his brain, even though he's possessed, sees Jesus and is desperately looking for something other than what he's got. And when he gets there, he runs to Jesus, falls at his feet, and then the demon speaks and responds and reacts. What do you have to do with us? And I believe... This is just me. The presence of Jesus, of Christ in you, is this unbelievable, unmatchable, magnetic power and attraction. You've been in a situation where you've met somebody and you're like, you, you know, you got this connection and you're like, well, you know, you're talking. And then, you're, and then later on you find or you see that guy at church or you see, you're like, and you feel this like, I knew that guy was a follower. Of, like you knew, right? There's something inside of you that says he has that same kind of spirit. Have you ever had that? Am I the only one? Like you feel that. There's a magnetic quality. There's something when you live out the gospel, like we were talking about with the A's and the giants, when you begin to live out the otherness of the gospel, it's so countercultural that people begin to see Christ in you, and it is a magnetic draw. And that's what's happening here. When you see the person of Jesus in times of tension, in times of trial, in times of joy, in ups, downs, highs, low, the presence of Jesus in you has power and attraction. Don't deny that. It is real. Kingdom increase is confidently living in the magnetic power and attraction of Christ. Um, there's something called a shalom. Shalom is peace in Hebrew. And you are a, what we call a shalom bringer in your city, in your workplace, and in your neighborhoods as a church. That's the second thing I see. Here's the third thing I see. Third thing I see is what I call an unraveling of mankind. Unraveling of mankind intentionally happens through the forces of darkness. Again, I'm just walking through this passage verse by verse and saying, what do I actually see? The unraveling of mankind intentionally happens through the forces of darkness. Look at verse 11. It says this. Verse 11 says, A large herd of pigs was feeding in a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, uh, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep embankment and were drowned. Now at first I was like, oh man, that sucks for breakfast. No bacon, right? I mean, that's the first thing I thought. Like, oh man, that really affects the economy. Then I thought economy. It affects the economy. See, the demons were, were, were asked to leave the man. And, and all I can think of is like their design as, de, as demonic forces, as forces of darkness, they have an objective, which is biblical. It says they're to kill, steal, and destroy. And they were working to steal and rob this city through this man that they held hostage. Because at first I'm thinking, why don't they just kill him? No, this man held that city hostage. They couldn't deal with it. And so... So Jesus sends them out, and they said, they, they're, the demons are on assignment. They said, we can't leave the area. Because remember, he says, he says that in the passage. He says, in verse, the end, when the demons say, they beg Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. That's super weird to me. 
It's like they had been assigned to terrorize this area, to kill, steal, and destroy. And if we can't kill the man, if we can't hold the city hostage, let us at least affect the economy. Because that's a herd of pigs. And wherever the Jewish thing is or whatever else, doesn't matter. It's somebody's economic engine that was just destroyed. And I believe that sickness, self-destruction, destruction of our identity, destruction of how we communicate, we're offending everybody over everything, people being over-medicated, personal morality is being challenged, technology that is designed to allow us to communicate better has imploded on us, making us communicate less. We're divided, families are broken, gender roles are losing their God-given design. And the reality of this story is that demons were on assignment, they had to destroy something. It's not just people. And when we begin to recognize that in the heavenlies, that, that, that dark forces are about destroying and keeping the city from flourishing, that changes your role as a shalom bringer and present in your world. There are demonic forces at play in this city on a grand scale. Their job is literally to unravel mankind, trap people through guilt, fear, shame, and addiction. And our job in Jesus' name is to rebuke, to deliver, to restore. And the increase is moving people from being in bondage to flourishing in Christ. That's what I see in that passage. Here's the fourth thing I see. There's uh, unreasonably misguided assumptions causing people to stay in the status quo. Unreasonably misguided assumptions causing people to stay in the status quo. This is the interesting piece of the story. This is, what, this, this is the piece that bugs me most about this story. Here it is in verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off, reported this to the town, countryside. People went out to see what had happened. They're like, what? this is crazy. When they came, they saw Jesus and the man who had been possessed by the demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened about the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. And then verse 17. This is what bugs me. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. What? That doesn't make any sense. Didn't he, just, didn't he just solve a huge problem for you? Like it was a massive, massive problem in the city. He just solved it. And you're asking him to leave? Like, uh, here's what I want the verse to read. He told him about Jesus, told him about the pigs, all this stuff, and the man in his right mind. And all these people came to church. They go to church now, and they all came to faith, and they're in ministry today. That's how I want the story to read. But that's not what it does. It's easier for us to stay in the status quo. And I would much rather, here's what's happening. I would much rather stay in the status quo of how things are than to acknowledge Jesus actually has power to change lives. That's what's happening in the story. And that's what's happening in the city. I would much rather, this is, this is the city speaking, we would much rather stay and keep where things are than to acknowledge Jesus has power. And that's what's happening. People are stuck. Jesus brings the town from chaos into order and they ask him to leave. And um, I'm finding that in my world, in Santa Cruz, people are willing to live in the painful reality of where they are, even if they're wrong, if it means I don't have to admit that you're right. 
and it's better for me to have a demon-possessed, unrestrained, crazy man running around and terrorizing than to admit Jesus has the power. And that's insane to me. But the reality of the world we live in is we look at it and say, how do I recognize that this is what I'm up against? And this, this is what I love about the last point right here. And this is because it connects to the, the, that reality. It's the undeniable message of personal healing and redemption is viral and contagious. Undeniable message of personal healing and redemption is viral and contagious. Go back to the passage, verse 18. Here's what happens. The man was getting into the boat and he begged, uh, the demon-possessed man begged to go with Jesus. And Jesus did not let him. He says, go to your hometown, go to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy he had on you. I get it. The guy was just healed. This guy that was broken, he's back together. And, and so who doesn't want to hang with Jesus, right? He wants to run with Jesus. But what happens is he gets sent out, and it says in verse 20, that the man went away, began to tell him the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The Decapolis represents 10 cities, which represents this massive area, and all of a sudden personal transformation and redemption becomes this viral message, the testimony of Jesus, what Christ has done in your life. I was this yesterday, I am this today. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, now I'm found. That testimony becomes the viral nature of what it means to be all in. To take the message of Jesus and what he's done for you into your places and allow that to sit with people to say, I want hope. I want joy. I want contentment. I want comfort. I want purpose. I want meaning. I want fulfillment as you live into that reality. That's what this message, that's what this theme is about. As you live into that, it becomes a contagious piece that you cannot stop talking about. And that becomes the one thing that translates this whole story forward. The irony is that the city can't solve its problems by restraining it, but Jesus can by setting it free. And he sets it free through his people living out in the reality of the testimony of what he's done in your own life. And that's the message I want to share today. One last thing I want to leave you with this. Um, I believe, I, so Pastor Terry shared, I, I, I meet with pastors all over the Bay Area, from as far north as Santa Rosa and, and Sonoma County, as far south as Monterey County and everything in between. It's 11 counties, 256 cities and towns, and 8 million people. So I work with pastoral networks, pastors that lead networks around the city. Pastor Terry leads one for San Francisco. We just relaunched just a while back. And these men who are leading men, who are leading churches, all of a sudden we're seeing God do all this stuff around the Bay Area. It's pretty exciting. But what I'm learning as a pastor and seeing all these different churches, that churches need to, they've been revving the engine and working on the engine so much, they need to take the car out for a little test drive. You need to open it up on the highway because God has empowered you. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are completely his. As churches say, you know what? The God of the Bible, the strength and the power of God himself is behind me as I continue to yield my heart to him. And what I'm seeing is the church and its people, we're used to just playing and dabbling in it a little bit. Yeah, we're, we're, called, we're in faith and we're called of God, but you know what? We need to take it out for a test drive. 
on my property, uh, I live with, uh, in Santa Cruz, Soquel area. And I've got a big 14-acre property, and I've got a pool on the property. And here's a picture of my, my family, a couple of my kids, some of my grandkids, and I've got six grandkids, and we all live together, four generations all together. It's kind of cool. Well, don't, don't awe too much, because there is some, <laughs> there's some challenges with that. Uh, but it's pretty cool. So we all live together. And this is us in our pool, having a good time. And I think one of the things I, I, I teach all my grandkids how to swim. Because there's the components of learning how to swim, as you've all gone through, where you learn how to hold your breath. You learn how to grab on the side. You learn how to, like, I'm in the deep end. What am I going to do? You learn all that in the pool. Because we live just like eight minutes from the ocean. And we spend a lot of time in the ocean. My son and I surf, and we have a good time. And I, want all, I have this vision of all my grandkids surfing with me. Not on the same board, but you, know, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> because there's something about the ocean. Because the ocean's been moving before I got there, and the ocean will move when I leave. The motion of the ocean is happening, right? There's stuff going, like waves and currents and tides, and, and wow, you know, if you're not paying attention, it'll knock you out. I just love watching you know, kook slams on Instagram. Like, people just wasted by the ocean. It's crazy. And you have to recognize that swimming in the pool is safe. Swimming in the ocean. Not so safe. Here's a surfing picture that I want you to see. That's a real photo. That's one of many photos of the big waves of the ocean. And you think about this guy. What does he say in his mind? I want a little caption. Go, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. This is awesome. You know, like he's having this moment, right? He's just having this insane moment because he is partnering with the motion that's happening in the water. Nothing you'll do in a pool. Similar things, like I'm going to hold my breath. And sometimes you have to hold your breath when things like this happen. Um, you know, th th things happen when you're not partnering with the ocean properly. Here's another example of not partnering with the ocean. Um, that's not me, so you're all good. Uh, I don't know if they ever found him. Uh, you know, this is one of those things, right? Like, like that if you're not intentionally partnering with the ocean, it can kill you. But when you are with the motion of God, it's this thrilling, insane, almost terrifying, God is doing something through me as an individual in my world for his redemptive purposes. And I can't think of a more insane place that needs that than San Francisco, where God's people and those that are like journeying to get closer to God say, I want to be all in because I want to be on that same ride. And that's what I'm inviting you today with All In. So will you just join me in prayer? Father, thank you for a chance to be with my friends here. Thank you for this church and what it means to the city and what it means to the Bay Area and what it means to the world. And that just church represents so many individuals that, that integrate so many different parts of the Bay Area. Will you use them as they draw closer to you to make your kingdom more known and make Jesus more known in all things? Father, I thank you for the time to be with my friends here. Bless them this week as they go into their workplaces and into their life and their journey. That they would be empowered in the personal work of Christ, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.